Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but that you have uh, communicated to us. You have you've given us your word. You have preserved it, and you've given us access to it. But we know that at different points in time uh, in, in human history, people were hungry for your word, but only had a portion. Or, or were hungry for your word, but only could hear of it from what another person said. We, we are blessed and privileged to stand at a point in time where we have uh, access to it right in front of us. And so, God, we thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to be humble and contrite uh, before you by being humble and contrite before your word. God, help us to be teachable. Help us to come before you and your word with the posture of a learner, uh, with the posture of, of, uh, of a person uh, knowing that we need help, we need instruction, and that we need to see Christ. And God, would you prove faithful to not let your word come back void, but to let your word produce uh, the change that you desire in us? God, would you work in power that your word would produce faith in us? Faith in Jesus, faith to obey, faith to, to, uh, to, to, to listen to your commands and, and, to, and to follow them, God. Would you, would you produce that in us by the power of your Holy Spirit? And God, would you allow uh, things only to be said that are in line and in step with the truth of your word? That Jesus will be lifted up. And we pray for all the churches across the city gathering right now or, or, or later today, God, all that are, that are trying to the best of their abilities to lift up the truth of the scriptures, the truth of Jesus, and the truth of the gospel. God, would you bless their efforts? Would you bless their gatherings? That Jesus would not just be propped up here, but would be made famous across the whole city. We pray this for your glory. We pray this for our good. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. We're finishing our, our series uh, of life together. Uh, and in this series, we, we've talked about uh, the why of community. And last week, Corey broke down for us how the, the cross, how the gospel shapes community. And now we're going to get practical. We're going we're to talk about uh, what life together is marked by. What, what are the actions that, that make up life together? And I want you to, for this, I want you to imagine the image of a house. Tell me when you have a house in your mind. The image of a house. Okay, you got a house. Okay, now pick a, pick, a, pick a color for your house. Tell me when you have a color. Now I'm just playing with you guys. Now. You don't need to do that. Just imagine a house, right? When you're going to build a house, what's the first thing that you're going to build? You buy a piece of land, what's the first thing that you build when, you, when you're going to establish a house? The foundation. Easy, right? Yes. Not the door, not the windows. Not the patio, you're going to start with the foundation, right? You're, you're going to start with that. Uh, everything else sinks or swims on that foundation. In fact, I remember a friend telling me a story about uh, looking to buy a house in a really great neighborhood, and this house was an anomaly that he, that he found online. It was a house that was in a great neighborhood, and it was at just this rock-bottom price. So they run to go check it out, and they're like, we've got to be the first ones to see this, we've got to be ready to move on this, and, and they get there, and everything looks great, um, but then uh, I think the, the real estate agent said, you know, don't get too excited. There's some problems with this house. And they're like, no, no, it looks great. I'm sure we could work on it. I'm sure we could work on it. He's like, no, like, I, I just want you to know, like, there's some issues here. And like, no, no, we can work on it. He's like, why don't you jump up and down? And so like, okay. And they jump up and down, and the whole place just starts shaking. And they realize, like, okay, this, like, there's some critical issues with this place. Maybe this doesn't work, right? Foundation is important. 
And so we've talked about the why of life together. We've talked about how the cross shapes life together. But today we're going to talk about the foundation of life together and then the actions that come out of that foundation. Because what Jesus is calling us to do as, as we live life together as his people, as the churches, he's calling us to build a life together, to, to practice a life together. But if we build on the wrong foundation, the whole house is going to tumble. So we need to understand the foundation of life together. So let's look at Romans uh, 12. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. We're going to see the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Rome, and it's going to give us some clues as to what life together looks like. To give us some context, usually we preach through books of the Bible. This has been a more of a topical series. So to give us a little bit of context of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He hasn't been able to visit them, but he's eager to write to them and tell them about the gospel so that they can be further established in the gospel. And at this point in chapter 12, uh, Paul has made this shift in his letter from spending the first uh, 11 chapters just talking about the problem of the human condition and how God has solved that problem through the grace of Jesus to restore broken people back into the family of God. And now in 12, he's starting to talk about the actions that come out of the work that Jesus has done. So the first 11 chapters are talking about, this is what Jesus has done for us. And now 12, he makes this shift based on what Jesus has done. This is now how you live. Okay. Does that, that? All right. So now we're going to see Paul uh, encourage and call the Roman believers to a certain way of living. And, and this gives us a picture of what life together is meant to be. As you hear these uh, commands, our minds individualize them. But Paul is writing not to one person. He is writing to a church. So he's writing to a community of people. Right. So we hear these and we think me. I do this. All of these, we have to think of them as done together to one another side by side. Okay? So Romans 12, uh, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So the first thing we're going to look at from this text is the type of love that is the foundation of life together. The type of love that is found, uh, foundational to life together. If I may quote some of our sage poets, um, Music Soul Child talks about love and he says, so many people use your name in vain. I thought about singing for a second. I will not do that. Right? So many people use your name in vain. We use love to describe the people that are precious in our lives and our favorite type of pizza. Right? So we use love all over the place. It has this broad range of meaning. And so when we hear these verses, sometimes we don't, it doesn't mean much because that word is just tossed out over and over and over. But it's foundational to life together. It's foundational to following Jesus in community. So we have to understand what does this love mean? What type of love is Jesus calling us to? Because life together has high stakes. The life that we live together as the church preaches a message about Jesus to everyone who's watching. Jesus, with his disciples, in his last moments in John chapter 13, 34, and 35, he says, people will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. 
He says, the world will know you're my disciples based on the love that is happening within local churches. Not even the love that we have for people outside of the faith, but the love also that we have for one another. So life together has huge stakes. So we need to understand what is this type of love that we're being called to. And Paul says, let love be genuine. One of the clues here is that he says there is a genuine type of biblical love. And there are, by, uh, by implication, other types of love. If I may quote another sage poet, Aubrey Graham Drake, fake love. Got fake friends showing fake love to me. Straight up to my face, right? Straight up, right? You guys know it? Straight up, right? So we understand there are different types of love, okay? Are you guys awake? You guys are with me this morning? We're here? Okay, good. So we need to understand what biblical genuine love looks like versus all the other forms of love that we're used to. And the first thing that we need to understand about biblical love that is foundational to life together within the community of followers of Jesus is that true Biblical love rejoices with the truth, and it hates wrongdoing. Isn't it interesting that in these verses, Paul will say, let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. But in the middle of that sandwich, he tells people to hate. Isn't that interesting? Abhor what is evil. Hate. Hate what is evil. So love, hate, love. That's the sandwich. That's strange. But when we step back and think about it, it makes total sense. The opposite of love, as is quoted by many people, the opposite of love is not hate, but it's apathy. It's indifference. Because if you love something, there are then by virtue of that love things that you despise because they threaten that love. Does that make sense? There's a reason that people have bumper stickers that say F cancer, and we, I think it's totally appropriate because they love people made in the image of God. Therefore, they hate this parasitic uh, implication of sin that is crushing and killing people. Do you understand? So love dictates that we then hate certain things. And what Paul is telling us about life together, about biblical love, about true love in the context of community, is that true love rejoices with what is good, what is right, what is true, what is helpful, what is beneficial according to God. But other types of love, they don't necessarily rejoice with the truth. Oftentimes, other types of love rejoice with what's convenient. Other types of love will rejoice with what is easy. Other types of love will rejoice with what will help their reputation. We know this. We're guilty with it by just virtue of being broken human beings. But there are times when we love people not because we love them, but because we love how it makes us look. Where we help people or we give or we treat people in a certain way, not so much because we love them because they're made by God, but primarily because we understand that if we don't do that, we're going to look a certain way. And guess what we love? Our reputations. And so Paul is saying, let love be genuine. Don't love like that. Don't love for the sake of self-interest. Love because you love this person and because you love the God that made them and that created them and that redeemed them. Let love be genuine. So biblical love says, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you like it is with tenderness and care. I'm going to rejoice with what's good for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be honest with you. Other types of love say, I love me so much that I'm going to just avoid whatever would create some sort of uh, tension or is going to create some sort of difficulty between you and me. I don't love you enough to step into tension. I don't love you enough to work through problems. I don't love you like that, so I'm not going to do that. But Paul says, no, life together means a true type of love that says we'll work through these things together. So the first step of biblical love is that it rejoices with the truth. 
The second uh, thing about biblical love is that uh, we, we love uh, biblically Define love means that we love in not just in in talk, but but that we actually walk out what we say. We love in, in, in to use biblical language. We we love in word and deed. We've all had friends or family that will lay it on thick about how much they care for us, about how much they love us. But then when we need something from them, they're nowhere to be found. We've all had those friends that say, oh, you're my best friend, you're this, you're that. And when you need something, they have every excuse in the book for why they can't help. Paul says that's, that's not biblical love. That's not real love. That, that biblical love means that we love not just with our lips, but with our actions. And so we follow in both of those steps. The other marker of biblical love, if we were to look at uh, 1 Peter 4, says that love covers a multitude of sins. Biblical love is a love that wants reconciliation, wants to work through problems, longs for forgiveness, longs through for restoration, where other types of love have this posture uh, that if you offend me once, we're finished forever. Biblical love, uh, according to First, uh, First Corinthians 13, often spoken at weddings, it bears with all things, it endures all things. So biblical love says, you have hurt me significantly, but I love you so much because you are made by God, redeemed by God, that I'm willing to work through this. That's why Peter says love will cover a multitude of sins. Love can can be the fuel that will push you through all sorts of conflicts. Not in a way where you said, I'll forgive and I'll forget. Where you say, I'll forgive, but we need to work through this and I'm not going to give up on you. This is biblical love. Now, do you understand why all of these are so foundational to life together? Because any place where you're going to have proximity to other human beings, we are going to need this type of powerful love to work through the issues that we're going to face. And so Paul makes it plain from the beginning. This is the type of love that Jesus calls us into. This is the foundation of life together. Paul gives another description for what life together looks like, this foundation of love. He says in 9, he says, let love be genuine. So, so not the fake love, but the biblical love. Part of this has an implication that we would be honest with one another so that we can love one another. It's hard to love people if they're not being genuine. Love is a two-way genuine street. So if we don't know your struggles, if we don't know your problems, if we don't know what's really happening with you, it's hard to love that person because you're not dealing with the real them. So Paul says, let love be genuine. Then he goes on and then he says this. He describes love in 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. He gives us a family description for us to understand this type of love in the church. This is helpful because everybody has a family, right? Even if they abandon you, you came from a family. It says, love with a brotherly affection. It says, love like family. This clues us into what this love looks like because have you ever seen two brothers fight or two sisters fight? Can be vicious, right? Maybe that's you. You're like, that's where this scar came from. <laughs> it's vicious. But then later, even a day later, if it's kids, right? They get in a huge scuffle. A day later, watch one of the siblings get picked on by a bully and then watch their brother or sister rise up for them, right? And you notice the power of a family affection. This idea that, hey, only I can hit my brother. You hit my brother like that, I'm going to hurt you. But he's my brother, right? And is it, what, what is that? What is that? What is that thing about family that when somebody passes in our family, we weep in a way that we don't weep for someone that we barely knew, and that's actually not a wrong thing? What is that about family? Well, it's the bond. Is it not? It's the bond of knowing we're of the same blood. We have something that is stronger 
than just a commonality of friendship. We, we belong to one another. And Paul uses this intentionally to help us understand that in the church, this is the very same bond that we have. Love with a brotherly affection because the church isn't like a family. It is a family. Because the, the gospel, the news that Jesus has come down to save us from our sins is not an individualized thing, but Jesus has come down to save us from our sins and to bring us into a family. Jesus is not simply a personal savior. He is a family savior. He saves us into a community. And part of working that out and living that out is now we, we belong to this family of, of people that we would probably never, ever be around otherwise. But now we have a shared savior and a heavenly father. So it says love with brotherly affection. This is, a, this is a hard call. It's hard enough to love the people that you are bonded with through DNA and blood. It's hard enough to love the, the people that are your friends by choosing. How in the world do you practice loving people that in reality, none of you guys necessarily chose to be in this church together. You just all kind of came around Jesus. And now you're like, oh, who are you? Who are you? Okay, cool. Like, we're, we're doing this thing together. We're supposed to love one another. Well, how, how do we do that? Our personalities may be different. You may be the type of person that says, oh, cyclists in Boston drive me crazy. Well, have you met our crew of cyclists at church? <laughs> you might be the cyclist that say, the people that drive like this are crazy. Well, have you met the crazy drivers at our church? Right? The, all, all sorts of things that come together. Now, how are we going to work through this? How are we going to love one another like family? If I didn't really opt into this, how, how, how does this happen? Well, part of it happens through the, the power of the, the, of the bond. How do, how do we love people in the church when it's difficult? The, the way we do them is we see through the eyes of faith. We have to see one another in the church through the eyes of faith. We have to be so immersed in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we see people not just for their quirks, not just for their personalities, not just for their baggage, but we see them as one made by God, so carrying his image and dignity, but two purchased by our Savior. And so when we see one another, you're not just dealing with some person. You're dealing with somebody that Jesus Christ himself has bled for to restore back to God. You are looking at a blood-bought brother or sister in the body of Jesus Christ. And so when you see people with the eyes of faith, you, are, you have a power to love them in this family way. But it only comes through faith, through believing the gospel and having faith to see through the lens of the gospel. That is the foundation of life together. But we also have to talk about the, the actions because that is very abstract. So what do the actions of life together look like? Think about this. If you build a house, you lay the foundation. What do you do after you lay the foundation? What are the actions that follow? Well, you've got to put in the drywall or the walls or the doors or the roof, all that other stuff. There is work to be done. So what are the actions of life together? What are the practices that make up life together? Paul gives them to us in this verse. And here's the things about actions is that you can say you're something, but if you don't do the actions... What you say doesn't really matter. You know who this happens to the most? Writers. People that say that they're writers, which is, which is often common. I'm a writer, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. Well, when is your writing time? What have you written lately? <laughs> That's right. I know, I'm the same thing, I'm guilty. I'm calling myself out. The writers are like, no, don't say this. Don't shame me. I'm shaming myself, right? They're like, oh, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. But it's like, when do you write? I don't. So it's like, okay, you're an aspiring writer. You're not really a writer. You don't, you don't really practice. Uh, so I'm calling, I'm calling myself out here, right? We think about in these ways. 
And it's the same thing with life together. We can say we're practicing life together. We can say we're following Jesus. But if we're not doing the actions of life together, we have to question, are we really following Jesus in this way? Are we really walking the walk in this particular area of following Jesus? And the actions that make up life together are this, the actions that follow from the foundation of love, from the heart of love, that the things that our hands do out of that heart of love are this. Look at Paul, what he says here. He says in 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Can you guys say honor? Honor. So showing honor is one of the actions of life together in the church. Outdo one another in showing honor. It comes from the foundation of love, this action of loving by showing honor. This is interesting. Notice how good God is. God doesn't say, hey, don't just don't don't harm one another. He doesn't just restrict us from hurting one another. He goes one higher. He says, don't just hurt one another. Actually do something positive for one another. Honor one another. He says this in this way of outdoing. What, what I think what this really means is this idea of prefer to honor people more than you enjoy being honored yourself. Right? It links us back to what Corey was taking us through with Philippians 2 last week. That, that we look not just to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We have an other posture. Outdo one another in showing honor. How many of you obey this command? I was looking at a scholar who said, this might be the least obeyed command in all of Scripture. One, because we don't really know what it looks like to show honor. What does this mean? Depends what culture you grew up in. But if you grew up in America, we don't show honor to anybody. <laughs> we honor celebrities. Everybody else we don't honor. So we don't, we don't really know what this means. right? But honoring, I want us to break this down because this is an important part of life together. Even though we haven't defined honor, the word has such powerful connotations that we can imagine how beautiful it would be in the life of our church if everybody was honored significantly. We just, we just have a sense of that, that, man, that would be a great thing. I would be so encouraged to continue following Jesus. I would be motivated in a new way. I mean, my, my, my capacity to deal with the trials at work or in my family or in my marriage or with my roommates would be deepened and strengthened because I would have this source of encouragement constantly washing over me. Right? So we might not even know what this means, but we know the benefit just from the sense, man, if I was honored more, that would encourage me greatly. We, we understand that. I want you to, to think of it like this way. Uh, honoring one another, honoring is a cousin of encouragement. They're, they're very similar. Right? So th this idea of honoring, it's, it's a thankfulness to God that recognizes the growth and character and act of service done by somebody and treats them in light of that. Let me, let me give you an example of, of, uh, of what it looks like to, to honor people. Think about when, uh, oftentimes when a friend is introduced to other friends. Introduce your friend, and then we usually kind of poke fun at them, right? Like, oh, this is my friend, like, yeah, one time, guess what he did one time? And so your first, so this person's first introduction to this other person is this moment, this embarrassing story, and we do it in kind of fun, loving, kind of poking gesture, and like, we're just kind of having fun. You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? When, when you do that, right? That's not honoring. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but that, that's the opposite of honoring. Let me tell you what honoring looks like. I have a friend who does this. I mean, he read this verse, and he's like, man, I've got, I want to do this. And so when he introduces me, he introduces me with like, I want to be a dad like Claude. Claude's a great dad. 
come to his church and preach. He says, and he, he introduces me with so much honor. He doesn't lay it on. He's not flattering. He's just saying, these are the things that I see in God's life, God doing in this person's life. And I want you to know that. That's honoring. I don't come away, come away from that thinking I'm incredible. I come away saying, wow, God has done work in me. God has done something in me that, that this is visible in my life. Let me keep obeying God. Let me thank God for what he's produced in me. That's honoring. The, the opposite of honoring is constant put-downs, undercutting. is saying something bad about somebody when you probably just could not say it at all. Right? That's the opposite of honoring. Honoring is, is pointing those things out verbally in front of that person or going to that person and saying, you know what? I just want to thank you for what God has done through you in the life of our church. How you serve every week. How you do this. How you host our gospel community. How you reached out to me and sent me that note. That helped me so much. Right? That's what honoring looks like. Now just think, what would be different in the life of our church if we cultivated a culture of honoring people in a God-centered way? Think of what would be different in your family if you yourself began to obey this command. Think of what would be, if you're married, what would be different in your marriage? Your marriage would be flipped upside down unless you obey this perfectly. If you honored one another in your friendships. Notice the goodness of God to make this a command. Outdo one another in showing honor. All you have to do is pay attention to what God is doing in the life of people around you. How God is growing them. How they're serving. How they're displaying Jesus. And go to them and say, I want to honor you for that. Thank you. That's it. That's foundational to life together. It's an action that comes out of the foundation of love. Because it gives God praise as we stop and recognize what he's doing in the lives around us. Outdo one another in showing honor. Last thing about honoring. Honoring helps defeat the grass is greener lie. The lie that says, oh, I wish there were people like this in our church. Or, oh, I wish this person was around these type of people. When we stop to honor people, it forces us to see God's work in their lives. And we become thankful instead of resentful. We are grateful for them instead of wanting them to be replaced. We stop and we see what God has produced in them and how powerful it is to change lives. We honor. The next action of, love, of life together flowing from love. We honor from love. We also show hospitality from love. Look at what Paul says in 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is an act of love that brings somebody into your life. It's an act of love that brings somebody into your life. I love um, this writer, Megan Hill, the way she describes it. She says this, hospitality, welcoming others to share our homes and our lives can take place in the space of five minutes with little prior preparation. It can be practiced over McDonald's. Amen. <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly. Amen. Or no food at all. No amen there. <laughs> It can happen in an untidy house, amen, or at the neighborhood pool. Whenever we invite somebody into our life for the good of her body and soul, we practice hospitality. Do you see how easy this is, actually? 
This is actually low-hanging fruit to practice hospitality. It can be at your home, making a great meal. It can be after service in a five-minute conversation. And praise God, it can be done at McDonald's as well. Right? Hospitality is inviting somebody into your life. This is why Paul says, let love be genuine. It's seeking to know someone. It's, it's asking this question, what's your story? It's asking somebody, how can I pray for you? It's going to that person maybe that you've met four or five times here at church, but you forgot their name, and you know they forgot your name too. So you're just like, mm, why did they wear the name tag? Why did they wear the name tag? <laughs> Hospitality is, is going to them out of a love for Jesus, seeing them with the eyes of faith and saying, man, this is going to be awkward, but they are purchased by Jesus. So I want to love them in this way. It's going to them and saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I, I forgot your name. Can you tell me your name again? I would love to hear your story. Let's get coffee. That's, that's hospitality. Hospitality is, if you are a, a single person, it's, it's getting to know married people in the church, not, not just single people. If you are a married person, it, it's pursuing single people and, and knowing that, that they have wisdom and encouragement and value to bring to our lives. And, and saying, hey, let's get coffee. Come, come over for a meal. It, it's, it's just loving people in this type of way that we want to invite them body and soul into our lives so that together we can walk towards Jesus. This is central to life together. Hospitality is how we know one another so that we can build one another up. So the question comes, comes to us in this way. How, how will we build on the foundation of life together by practicing hospitality? How will you do this? What is your plan to practice hospitality in light of Jesus' hospitality to welcome us to the Father? Where on your calendar do you build in a rhythm for hospitality? If you have a home that you can have people in, then not all of us do. If you have a home where you can have people in, X amount of times a week, X amount of times a month, what is it that you're going to practice obedience to show in hospitality that we can build life together and follow Jesus? If, if you don't have the means to do that, X amount of times you're going to ask somebody to copy. What, 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 how are you going to obey this? Because when it comes to this idea of community and life together and, and being the people of Jesus together, we love the idea, but we are slow to the actions. So what's your plan to obey Jesus in this area of life? How would you even do it after service? Just go talk to somebody new. Let's build on this foundation. The next is contribute from love. 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. I think Paul has in, in, in mind here um, primarily material needs, physical needs, and giving money to help those who are poor. Um, but this, again, proceeds from the foundation of love, that, that from the foundation of love, seeing people through the lens of the gospel, loving Jesus, that we love by showing honor, we love by practicing hospitality, we love by contributing. There's a funny YouTube uh, TV show or channel or something like that um, by a comedian who makes fun of Christians. It's a great way to make money. And one of the shows that he does is called Church Hunters. How many of you have seen House Hunters by HGTV? People go for, look for a house and hunt houses. This show is church hunters. So instead of going to the house, they come to, they have like this guy and it comes to church. He's like, yeah, this church is like modern, contemporary, relevant. And like the worship leader wears tight pants and like all, all this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, we're like that. And what about, the, oh yeah, like, like how long the service? 12 minutes, oh great. Like all this different stuff. And it's, it's just this joke 
that's playing on the stereotype that, that each of us has this tendency to approach something as beautiful and as sacred as the people of God, the people of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus. We have this tendency, each of us carries it, carries it to treat something that precious and beautiful as a commodity. That we are so discipled by American cultural consumption that we even bring that attitude into something as precious and sacred as the church of Jesus. And, and that's really what they're, they're playing on. And so Paul gives this, gives this charge to, to help us combat that. Certainly we should, we should ask those questions. Is, is this a place for me? Do, do I enjoy this? Right? But that's not the only question we ask. We also ask the question, how can I contribute? How can I serve? How can I be a blessing? Who can I help? What, what can I do that's going to help us continue to follow Jesus? To help people grow, because as they grow, I grow. We win together. We flourish together. So Paul is giving us this charge. And so this is simple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, a lot of times in churches or in businesses, period, or nonprofits, period, 20% of people do 80% of the work. Let that never be so here. Let us ask the question, not just how am I benefiting from this church? Am I growing? Is this good for me? But let's also ask the question, how can I contribute? Because Jesus himself, Corey talked about this last week, said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We grow as we serve. We grow as we engage. We don't grow when we're passive. We don't grow just by consuming. There are benefits for us to be had, but there are contributions as well to be made. And so simply, if you're not on the service team, get on the service team. Contribute to the life of the church. If you're new, you're a guest. Just tell them, yeah, do that. Right? It's not for you. It's not for you. Not yet. Right? So, so seek to contribute. There is blessing for you in that. Take, take Jesus at his word. I want us to uh, close uh, with, with this. Can, can we admit with honesty that this text is calling us to a lot? Can, can we admit that? Can, can we admit that this text is calling us to a lot? I, I, I counted, I forget. I think there's like 12 or 14 charges in these four verses. And Paul's just laying them on like they're easy. Let love be genuine. Show hospitality. Seek to show honor. Contribute to the like, just like, it's like, whoa, like, I can't even do the first one. Like, I can't even love people. Now I'm going to be hospitable to the people that annoy me? Like, Paul, <laughs> relax. Right? So, so he is calling us to a high standard. Right? This, this is why Jesus said to, to follow me, you must take up your cross. You must deny yourself and take up your cross. In order to do these things, we have to die to other things. We have to die to the individualism that says, I just want to do everything on my time, my way, my calendar, my priorities. We have to die to that. We also have to die to comfort. Because if you're going to do life together with people in the church, you're going to be put in situations that are going to be kind of uncomfortable. They're going to stretch you. That's, that's actually how we grow in the long run. But in the process, they're not that fun. And so there, there are many barriers standing in the way between us and the beauty and the grit and the grind of life together. This is why many people will come to a church for a season, and then when they're called into this, they leave. And they do that repeatedly, and then they sit back and wonder, why have I not grown spiritually? Right? So there are barriers that are stopping us from this. We talked about this the first week. There's also spiritual opposition. Guess what? Satan is real. And Satan loves to seek, kill, and destroy. So anything that Jesus says is life-giving, there are going to be not just our own opposition and barrier to it, but spiritual ones as well. 
Right? So there are many things stacked up between us and this vision of life together that will show Jesus to the city. Satan doesn't want to see that. He doesn't want the city to see the beauty of Jesus. And the problem is we don't have the power to push through those barriers on our own. We, we can't do that. 